Good morning, Minneapolis and other beautiful cities all around the world. My name is Lavia Alva, and I'm an extreme extrovert. Oh boy, it's so nice outside in Minneapolis. It's about like 65 degrees, and that's nice. <laughs> For those who live in Minneapolis, they know that um, it's a type of it's the time of year where um, you know 60 and 70 actually start to feel warm again. Because <laughs> there's a time, you know, in the winter time, it can be 60 or 70 and be excruciatingly cold. Um, not so much 70, but um, 60. Depends. Um, 70 is always warm for us, but um, yeah, 60 can be a nice warm summer day, or 60 can be like. Actually, I messed that up. 60 can be a cool summer day. And 60 can also be a warm winter's day. So yeah, that's what I meant to say. If you live in Minneapolis, you understand this because this is just how the weather works. <laughs> this is just how it works here. Um, but anyway, I appreciate everyone's patience with my podcasts. Um, I haven't been really t- um, saying much just because I've had a lot of going, a lot of things going on. Um, And I actually talked to a friend recently about something kind of interesting. Uh, Even though I've had a few months now of being sober, about 17 years of my life really consisted of drinking and actively drinking, secretively drinking, and living kind of like a double life. I think that most alcoholics can understand that you kind of do end up living a double life when you have to maintain your addiction because, you know, you start realizing in yourself that your drinking is a problem. Other people start realizing it and then it's common to hide it. And I kind of thought about this because I was getting coffee with a friend yesterday. And when I was getting coffee with a friend, they went in to go use the restroom at a nearby grocery store because we were there's really tasty um, food trucks where we hang out and they just needed to use the restroom and right across the street there was a liquor store that i had gone to many times and a coffee shop my friend was like hey when i'm done in the bathroom um you know meet me just in the coffee shop there so i'm finishing up my tacos And that's when my addiction brain starts to work. It's when it starts thinking. It's when it starts contemplating. So my friend, he's walking towards the grocery store. It'll probably take him about three minutes, four minutes to get there. Once in the grocery store, it'll probably take another two or three minutes to figure out where the bathroom is. And if he can't find it, probably take another minute to be like, hey, where's the bathroom? So, all in all, they could potentially be gone for about 8 to 10 minutes. You know, depending on how fast they move or what needs to be done. And me, I'm thinking to myself, it takes about 2 minutes to walk across the street. There I am at the liquor store. It takes about 5 minutes to just go to their cash register. Mind you, I've been to this 
liquor store many times in my life. So I know exactly where the entrance is. I know exactly what I would order. And I know exactly how much time it probably would take to get out of the store back to the coffee shop without even knowing, not even letting anyone know that I had entered the liquor store unless they saw me. And this crossed my mind. And I let it, I let it play out. I was like, okay, I didn't, I didn't go into the liquor store, but I let it play out in my head. And I walked past the liquor store and I sat at the coffee shop and I thought about this. I was like, dang, didn't even take me a second. Didn't, it took very little effort, if any effort at all, to even think about successfully getting something from the liquor store. And this is how the addiction works. This is how it got a hold of my brain. This is how it became a habit. I was doing this so often that now in my brain it is like second nature. And it's interesting because when I told my friend that what I had been thinking, they were like, oh my God, are you triggered? Are you feeling okay? Okay, first of all, I'm not. I'm not feeling triggered. I'm just playing out the situation because that's what my brain naturally wants to do. And when I verbalize it, when I say like, hey, this is what's happening in my brain, in my thoughts, the reason why I'm saying that out loud is so that I don't feel like I'm like a crazy person. I told my friend because I wanted someone to understand. And that's why I think it's very important to have a community, have a place where you can talk to people about addiction. That's why AA is important. That's why NA is important. That's why those groups are important. In a past podcast, I remember um, mentioning that, you know, groups, minority groups, and why is it so important for them to have a space? And then, you know, white people are always like, how come we don't have, you know, uh, a white pride or like um, white lives matter or something like that? Well, that's the reason why we don't have those things is because it's not so taboo. It's not so uncommon. It's not so... First of all, if you're labeled as a minority, you're not the majority. (laughs) So that means that you need a group of people to listen to you so that you can feel like your struggle is real and and natural and human and that's why it's important you know what I mean that's why it is important to have a sober group to have a group of people around you so that you can not feel this alone and I have kind of felt this a little bit Like after you go through rehabilitation, after you go through rehab, 
and you go back into the outside world. You know, people that are impatient, outpatients, they might experience things differently, but I definitely feel the world is very big. The world is huge, and there's lots of people with so many different diversions of life. And I guess I have to admit that throughout my busy life, I kind of do miss rehab a little bit right now. I know this is the beginning, but I do miss it just because I miss every day, like waking up and talking to people that understood me completely, that I could be myself. And not laugh, not judge, not bicker. You know, people that just like kind of nodded and said, Yep, I understand, because I did the same. So I think it's very important for me now to try to fit back into the community. So I don't feel so alone. But anyway... I guess the optimistic thing of it is someone was like, Hey, if you're ever invited to a party, at least you would be a really good bartender. And I was like, uh, if I get that close, then maybe. Um, I'd have to have some pretty good self-control at that point to be a bartender again. But, um, yeah, I can recommend some good drinks. And I actually, you know, another good thing about being an alcoholic, there's no good things, but I'm just trying to be optimistic. Okay, <laughs> so one good thing. I actually made like a list the other day. I was like, you can recommend your friends to all the really awesome bars that'll get you super fucked up. <laughs> I know all the places that are super cheap for drinks. Um... I also know a lot about Uber rides and approximately how much they're going to be in distance. Um, I know how to hide booze like a pro. <laughs> like if you come to me and you're like, hey, I'm going to this event, what should I do? I'll be like, you know what, <laughs> I can tell you what to do. You might have to pregame, but hey, I know what to do. But, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, I don't know. Sorry about the, all the noise, too. It's, it's a little busy downtown. Not downtown downtown, but, you know, it's a little bit busy in the city. One thing about the Alcohols Anonymous book... One out of the 12 steps. If anybody ever um, tells you what the 12 steps are or knows of the 12 steps, most likely they probably did their research of some kind, you know? Um, it's basically just these things in the uh, big book that kind of outlines, like, the basics of staying sober. It's kind of hard to understand, but I'll have to, I'll have to show you. 
so that it's easier to understand. And it's interesting because I am not a religious person, okay? I'm not a religious person. So, like, these steps didn't always appeal to me. Um, they seemed kind of religious. And um, for those people that are have religious trauma <laughs> or were forced into religion, um, such as myself, not forced, but, like, Religion just told me that, you know, I should go to hell and, you know, being gay, you're stupid and all this stuff. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to blame anybody's religion for anything, but that was just my experience, my first-hand experience on um, religion. So that's why I tend not to be that religious. Okay, so let's see here. I'm, like, trying to flip through this manual. Uh, I know it's somewhere here, guys. Anyway, as I'm trying to find that, oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting in front of um, a coffee shop trying to find the 12 steps here and of course there's like a big old bottle of vodka on the f oh god I can just hear my friends like their their voices I am triggered right now oh I'm not triggered I just I'm just I see it I'm just letting it be like it's so interesting how like when tempered people <laughs> tempered drinkers they're always like oh you know, like, is this, is this gonna cause you to drink? No, you know what causes me to drink? Is feeling like, like, feeling like I, I don't, I can't even explain it. You know what kind of triggers you to drink is, like, the feeling of, like, hopelessness. Or feeling of, a validation. A validation that says, like, yep, this is you. You know, like, when... Someone, like, says something mean to you and you're like, yep, that's me. That, that triggers me to drink. You know? I don't know how to, if that even really makes sense. But, like, say someone's like, oh, you're lazy. And then at work your boss comes and is like, oh, you know, yesterday I saw that you weren't doing as much work as you usually do. And therefore, their pre-existing notion said, like, oh, you're lazy. Then you are like, oh, fuck, I am lazy now. You know, like, that shit like that like makes me trigger okay finally we found the 12 steps thank you for being patient because that was really long <laughs> i really appreciate that um i sometimes on these podcasts i just kind of wing them um and that was a perfect example okay so on chapter five alcohols anonymous there is 12 steps, and it says, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. So this is based on, who wrote this? So this is the fourth edition of Alcohols Anonymous, the big book. Um, and I guess it, I think it was supposed to be, I think originally it was yeah, Bill C. Bill C's? Or Bill. Somebody like that is the original 
writer or people that wrote it, but um, there's so many editions now, different volumes that who knows who made this volume, but all 12 steps are the same, so it doesn't matter. If you have yours, you can open it up to your pages. In this fourth edition, it's actually in page 59, on 59, chapter 5. Okay, so the first step is we admitted, we admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And, you know, this step always sat well with me. This always did, because <laughs> because my life was always kind of chaotic already with alcohol. So, like, this step was not very hard to, like, think and be like, does this pertain to me? Well, no shit it does, because, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here in rehab if that shit didn't happen. If I had my life under control, you know. And I think that's the problem. That's the uh, thing with alcohol is, like, Sometimes you get out of control, but it really depends on the person how much out of control they want to be. Excuse me, I got it. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to cough. <laughs> I got some allergies. But, like, when you have a friend that's an alcoholic, it kind of sucks. Because we all have friends that have gotten on a binge, and then they, like, fix themselves. Or they don't need rehab, and they kind of just, you know somehow just get cured of this emotion or this thought of this process of this disease whatever alcoholism is really and then we have other people that sit in an addiction for years you know I have uh, one acquaintance that I know that has been drinking for years and years and years and he knows that he's an alcoholic people know that they're an alcoholic but it really depends on the person what they consider unmanageable you know, some people go to jail several times. That's normal for them. Some people, you know, get in trouble with the law. Some people, you know, get violence reflected on them. And unfortunately, that's a habit. That's a norm for some people. And that's really sad. But that's the reason why, like, a lot of alcoholics don't, you know, get clean. Because it really depends on the person. And it's not always based on character. Sometimes it's based on how severe the physical... Um, dependency is you know because I always hear these people like around me that are like oh why can't he just stop like doesn't he understand why can't he just control himself well the truth is he can't fucking control himself that's what an alcoholic is okay sorry not meaning to get too uh, distracted so one we admitted our powerless over alcohol we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have been unmanageable two Come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. This step actually was really um, comforting to me because I don't, I don't believe that God is a particular um, element. I don't think God is like a person in the sky. <laughs> I don't believe that they're a person. So when it says come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, that can mean the power of will, which I'm going to, I have my own opinions on that, but power of, um, you know, the power of life, the power of existence, the power of the universe, the power of Buddha, the power of Allah, the power of the gods, the power of the beings, you know, Mother Earth, the trees. You know, power, whatever power you want to believe in. Angels, demons, Satan, whatever. Whatever helps you in your sanity. Um, knowing that 
there is a power, there is a will, there is a meaning in life that will restore us back to um, sanity. Because sometimes you can't do it yourself, you know? Sometimes you don't physically feel like you can do it yourself. So you have to use other things such as spirituality or religion. A lot of people fall into religion and that's okay. I believe that religion is great if you seek out religion. But if someone else tries to push it on you, no. (laughs) That is not how religion works, in my opinion. Step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. So, you know, obviously if you're religious, you can comprehend that how you will. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. So, for me, I'm an atheist. So, as an atheist, I don't... I don't necessarily think of God as like the Catholic God. I understand God as the universe, as Mother Earth, as the beings, as the trees, the water, the air. Um, I believe that if we look to these sources, if we look to um, what the Earth is telling us, um, we can best understand ourselves. So that's how one atheist view, my atheist view, um, views it. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So when we say made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, that means the truth, being honest, being truthful with yourself. That's how I comprehend it. Searching for reasons. And, you know, reminding ourselves why those reasons are valid. So, for example, you know, I'm not... There's a difference between excuses and validating. Like, for example, like, um, if I were to say, because my... Because one of my parents abused me, now I... I'm an asshole and that's why I can't love anybody. Okay, that's an excuse. But making a moral inventory is like, hey, you know, for 17 years of my life, I was using alcohol. And the reason why I was using was because I wanted to feel free. I wanted to feel powerful. I wanted to feel in charge. Ironic, I know, but the brain is weird. And I wanted to be careless, you know, because when I grew up, I grew up in a really strict home and I learned very quickly at a young age that you don't trust people and alcohol allowed me to make friends easier. It lowered my guard um, to make risks to travel. And at the time, alcohol was helping me. And now at this time, alcohol is not helping me. And that's why I'm being sober. Have I always had addiction? Probably. But at that point in my life, the honest truth is I wanted to use, and I did. And I'm not ashamed of that, because I have my reasons. But they're moral reasons, and they're truthful reasons that I can look at myself and forgive myself. Because I'm being honest with myself.
Step five, admitting to God, to ourselves, and to other human beings, the exact nature of our wrongs. This one was a hard one for me because some people in your life, you do a lot more wrong than others. Um, I know for my sister, um, because I was so active in my addiction, she saw me, you know, passed out all the time and, you know, in a horrible state of mind, basically dead. That's how she described me. And I know that I can't take that pain away from her. And I know I can't take away the pain that I caused my boyfriend. And I know that I can't take away the pain that I, or trauma that I had caused on my sister's roommate and on my friends that loved me and wanted to see me well. And I know I cannot take away any of that trauma and hurt. I know I can't. But I know in my life, as I continue on in my life, I want to, I want to have my family, my friends, and most especially my sister, I want her to be happy. And if I can cause any happiness or comfort to them, that is what I would like to do in my life. Alright. And six. We are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Okay, so let me read that one more time. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So for those that are like religious... Um, you know, some people like to do it differently. You know, some people like to, every day in the morning or every day at night, you know, say a little prayer. Sometimes they like to say, thank you, God, for the people that, you know, have forgiven me. Thank you, God, for the people that, you know, supported me. Thank you, um, God, for giving me a chance at life. And you ask him for your forgiveness. You ask him to forgive you for your wrongdoings. And I'm, I'm not really um, that familiar with God. But what I've heard is that he forgives you. He forgives you. And he says things like, you know, you will be redeemed if you go about your life maybe following the steps. Or maybe treating people with dignity, respect. And love within reason. So for those who are atheists. um, When we read this. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. It's basically either looking at the universe. Your own personal gods. um, Higher power. Spirits. um, Entities. And whatever you do whether it's in regards to spirituality or some kind of other religion. 
I kind of visual it, visualize it as writing down all your faults and all your things that have been holding on to you and holding on to your being, weighing you down, writing them on a piece of paper, light up that piece of paper and watch it burn. This is the best way I can explain it in regards to an atheist view. <laughs> watch those things burn, acknowledge that they were there, and acknowledge that you are moving on. Moving through, moving through. I don't like to say move on, because moving on means kind of entitles that you throw something away and then you, you know, leave it behind. And that's not how addiction works. That's not how life works. You don't just throw something in the garbage and leave it there. It kind of follows you. And so you get through it. You know, it's another baggage. But, you know, make the baggage have wheels. Roll it around. Make it easier on yourself. You know, if, if it's heavy, ask another person to carry it. It doesn't have to be that heavy in life. Life should not be that sorrowful. Should not be that sad. Seven. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. So ask God to forgive. Forgive those who have done us wrong. And shortcomings, when I think shortcomings, I think of like, you know... I personally think of, like, you trying to accomplish something, and then after a while it's like, oh, you know what? It doesn't work out. You put something towards something, and it doesn't work out. Shortcomings. I'm actually going to uh, look this up, because I'm not actually sure what it means. A fault or failure to meet a certain standard. Okay, that's what I was thinking, shortcomings. Okay, so... Forgive God, basically, for being an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, humbly ask him to remove our short bringings. Ask him, you know what, can you just be in charge of this? You know, have you ever heard of those um, worry dolls? I don't know where they're from. I think they're, like, from, like, uh, I've seen them in, like, uh, like African stores or like uh, more spiritual stores. I'm not really sure where it originates from, but have you ever heard of those like worry dolls that they're like little stick figures, little stick dolls that are probably like an inch tall and they're in a woven basket. And they basically, you basically tell your worries to these dolls and then you close up the basket and the worries are contained. You know, that's like the, that's the idea that I get when I read Number seven, humbly ask him to remove our short bringings. You know, be like, you know, God, I'm an alcoholic. I, you need to deal with this. <laughs> it kind of helps knowing that, like, you put your worries and imperfections in someone else's hands. I think that visually just helps. Anyway, eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends with them. So I actually have had this. I actually have made a list of people that I need to make amends with. And um, I have to admit, there will be people on the list that you probably won't be able to make amends with. Either because they've moved on, or because they're, it's just not physically possible. Maybe it's not safe. Uh, but it's okay. I think within that, you just have to make justice within yourself. There was one person that I wanted to make amends with, and they are no longer around. So for me, 
I lit a candle. I wrote down what I wanted to say. I asked them forgiveness. And I also forgave myself. And I moved on. Moved through. (laughs) Ten. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. One thing that I do really like about addicts is very rarely do you run into a sober addict that has a really high ego. Um, (laughs) When you are going through recovery, you have to be fully honest with yourself. It does not work if you are not honest with yourself on what had hurt you and what had caused you to feel pain and what you were doing in regards to um, addiction, what you liked about it, what you loved about it, what you enjoyed about it, and what you did not like about it. Um, All those fancy things um, cannot be done if you do not do a personal inventory and really look deep inside yourself and say, you know what, these are the wrongs that I have to admit and I'm sorry. And it's a hard thing to do. Some I, some things I don't want to even admit that I'm wrong. Sometimes your brain, like, likes, I don't know. Sometimes your brain is like, no, I did not do that. I did not do that. And in reality, you did. You know, with me and my addiction, I did a lot of things, but I don't remember. You know, so I can tell that on other people's faces and other people's experiences, they maybe experienced me in a mean way, a violent way, a harsh way. A cruel way, a disturbing way. They might have even, you know, experienced me in a vulgar way. Some people said, you know, I got so drunk I looked like I was dying. It looked like I couldn't breathe. And I don't remember any of this. So for me, in my memory, when I see people are hurting and when I see people are, you know, feeling so distressed over things that I had done... It's hard because I don't remember. And it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I feel like my level of dignity and shame would be even lower (laughs) if I didn't, uh, if I had known what I did all these times that that I was passed out or drunk. But at the same time, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because... I don't have those things, those memories weighing down on me and I can move forward. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It's good, bad. It just is. Eleven. Sought through prayer and meditation and improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him. Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So, for those who are religious... I'll read that one more time. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him. So through this prayer and meditation, get to know God, um, understand Him, have a relationship with Him, you know, become powerless, become truthful, become genuine and honest. And pray for knowledge of his will and for the power to carry like a good well-being out. So you can continue to be sober. If this works for you, awesome. And I 
I'm not going to comment any anything further. You know, if if this is if this step really s spoke to you and prayer and meditation really helps you in your sobriety, I think that's the greatest thing that can um, happen to you and I applaud you. Do it. <laughs> um for those who are atheists, the best way to explain this is Meditation, meditation, uh, mindfulness, you know, um, be in the moment. I like to take walks and enjoy the trees, enjoy the grass, enjoy the noises of the birds, sometimes smell coffee. If I'm feeling, you know, um, generous of myself, for myself, I'll maybe get a coffee or invite my friend a coffee. But, you know, being mindful of what is going on with yourself and in yourself um, to better understand our place in the world and to make sure that we're being healthy and that we're on top of ourself so that we can remain sober. All right, step 12. Dun, 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 dun. Then I'll let you guys go because you're probably like, this girl is talking way too much. <laughs> okay. Um, so step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, so I will read 12 one more time. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I do kind of feel like I had a spiritual awakening, kind of. not necessarily because of these 12 steps. Um, I was introduced to these 12 steps after rehab or, you know, towards the end of rehab. And um, it, it just kind of illustrates the overall understanding of um, alcoholism, how it, you know, kind of affects our well-being. And um, it's kind of, it is kind of like a spiritual awakening. You wake up one day, you graduate rehab, and you're like, damn, why have I never thought like this before? Now, why haven't I stared at my addiction and my disease in, in the face before and be like, you know, it's it's okay. I don't know, you know, you never know why you don't look at yourself in the way you do after <laughs> regaining some knowledge. I was like, why was I so hostile with myself? Why was I so mean? Why did I want to prove to others that I was so sober when in fact I had no, um, no desire to be sober? You know, I wanted to drink and I, like, was living a double life. And all these questions, you know, and it finally makes sense. I finally am sitting, you know, at a park with no desire to drink. And that is the most powerful thing that I could ever wish for. That's something that I'm very thankful for. And I don't know exactly how it happens, but I think that if you seek out this peacefulness and if you seek out the desire to live a sober life, it will come. It will come easier. But it, it does take a little bit of fighting. It does take a little bit of pushing yourself. Especially if you're like me and I've drank for 17 years of my life, you know... I was having coffee with a friend and they were like, hey, um, you know, you're sober now, you know, like, how does it feel to be normal? And I was like, normal? It would have to take 17 years of this lifestyle for me to consider it normal. You know, I'll be about 
48 by the time this gets normal. So, um, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know. Um, so before I let you guys go, I will just, without interruption, read the 12 steps and um, I'll let you go on your way. So one last time, the 12 steps. We admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, come to believe that power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as he understood him, as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admit to God, to ourselves, to other human beings, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we entirely are ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I almost said shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continue to take personal inventory when we are wrong and promptly admit it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him, praying only for knowledge of Him, His will for us, and the power to carry that out. So only good intentions, y'all. 12. Having had a personal awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice this principle in all our affairs. Yep, and that's it. <laughs> that's it for today. Oh, God, sorry about all that noise, but you know what? I'm feeling good, guys, and I got to get to my class, so um, have the greatest, greatest, greatest day. Do something positive for yourself, um, you know, do something nice, listen to some nice music, meditate, go for a walk, whatever you need to do today. Do something lovely. Something that makes you happy. And makes you feel safe. And safest, 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 safest of travels.